Hey everyone and welcome to part 3B of process preparation and performance. I'm Bill. I'm here with JR and we have our first guest of the season, Mr. David Wilson. JR, how you doing? Good. David, how are you, sir? Doing very well. Thank you. It's Sunday afternoon. It's a beautiful day in Mid-Missouri. I've actually been out cleaning my garage all day. JR, I'm sure you're still you know, sweeping up glass and checking for <laughs> hail damage. But, Mr. Wilson, what have you been doing down there in Arkansas all day? Well, today I've just had a, a leisurely day for the most part, catching up on weekend things like you guys, sounds like. Uh, our weather's a little bit better than yours. Uh, no, I mean, it, beautiful spring day yesterday and today. Um, it's northeast Arkansas where they had all the trouble with tornadoes and storms. Right, right. Uh, I was on the side of the state that we were spared all of that. So, oh well, doing well. Thank goodness for that. You know, Jr. We we brought Mr. Wilson on because, as we talked about on the previous podcast, the guy has written like three books, right? He's done so much in education, and currently he's like the communications director for transit and parking at the University of Arkansas, and we're going to get into that. But I think before we do, we've got like a whole list of questions for Mr. Wilson, and it's going to be a really good time. I don't know if we're going to get it all done in one podcast, to be honest with you. We might have to break this into like podcast 3C or something. I'm not sure because, you know, just talking before the show, he's got a lot of stuff to tell us, a lot of stuff that we can learn from the process preparation performance just on game day is going to be, a, is going to be amazing. But let's let's dive into what really is going on. And you talked about it, Jr. He wrote this book. I know you want to ask him about it. Growing up with pro football. Yeah. So a little background on me and uh, and Dr. Wilson here. I actually worked for him at Jeff City High School when he was assistant principal. He was kind of over our department, uh, which is social studies. And then you know, time moves on, people move on, and uh, we kind of reconnected here in a in the last few weeks and whatnot. But David, you, you wrote this book called Growing Up with Pro Football. And I'd like you to kind of tell everybody kind of what your process was on that and, and what the book is really all about. Well, I like to tell people that it's a book that's really 50 years in the making because it was 50 years ago that as a kid, I started watching pro football. And that is kind of the launching point for the whole thing. And uh, 1970, you know, I learned as the years went on, uh, 1970 was a very special year for the NFL because it was the first year that the AFL and the, the NFL got together all under one banner. Well, I didn't know that as an eight-year-old kid. I just started watching. And then as the years went on, I learned more and more about how that was special. So the book is, uh, it's, a, it's a look back. It's kind of a 50th anniversary of when I started appreciating the game. And I write, I did a lot of research on this, and I write about some of those games that I remember the most. Uh, and I write about some experiences that went along with it. Because, you know, when you watch something as eight year, an eight-year-old kid, it has a little bit of a different feel than if you're watching something when you're 40 years old or 50 years old. You know, you, you talked about watching it as a young kid. And we know you've done a lot of things with football throughout your life. What are some of the things that you remember from watching it as a young eight-year-old, even into, your, you know, your young teenage years that, that kind of shaped you or molded you or kept your love for the game. Can you give us any of that? Well, it's, um, 
I don't know exactly what, why I became enamored with it then, except that we started playing, you know, at recess as kids, we were playing football and we were just kind of tackling each other. We didn't even know the rules. And, um, but we were getting the tackling part down pretty good. And one of our teachers kind of gave us a little guidance and felt like we had a coach and I took a lot of pride in it. And next thing I know, I'm watching uh, college games on the weekend and, and NFL games too. And uh, it just kind of took off from there. Of course, my dad, uh, like many dads do, he, he uh, helped me get interested in sports and he was participating in that as well. So I had a typical childhood like a lot of kids do. Uh, but this book just kind of look back, looks back at, at how that started. Um, I wrote uh, early on in the book, I kind of set the stage by, by telling how the, the NFL started and all in one or two sentences. I, I said the NFL got started in, in 1920. You know, the AFL got started in 1960. I was born in 1962, but in 1970, those two leagues and I, we all three merged together about the same time. Right. Uh, because, you know, when they got together, that's when I really got connected with football. It's kind of a coincidence that it turned out that way, but that's, that's what happened. And so uh, from then on, I was watching football every weekend on TV and participating whenever I could. Did you have a favorite team or favorite player from back it then? It was, um, as a kid, I liked the Dallas Cowboys, and I can't tell you why. Uh, I just started watching them. And, and, and later on in life, when I told people that was my team, they – they said, oh, you just like them because they won all those Super Bowls. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I said, you need to understand, when I started watching them, they hadn't won one Super Bowl yet. In fact, the first year I did watch football was the first year that Dallas made it to a Super Bowl. And so uh, I can tell people that I just started appreciating them as a team and not because of a resume. Again, I, I told you earlier, I've – I've kind of really wanted to write a book to actually start it writing a book. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm curious, how long did it take you to write this? Because, you know, you did it based on experience and what was going on. There's obviously a, a big interest for you in the sport of football growing up with some of the things that you've done through your life, but how long did it take you to write this book? Well, understand I didn't hit it every day, but, um, it took a span of two years for me to put it all together because I did a lot of reading and research and organizing my thoughts and writing things down and saving that. And so I wouldn't, you know, be working on it every day, but in the end, I spent a, a good four weeks or so, you know, away from my day job, I would write on it every night because I was thinking this needs to be, I need to have this out by the time the Super Bowl occurs, our sure. most recent Super Bowl. And I was really working at it hard. So I guess, you know, all together, it was, a good couple of months work, uh, but it spread out over, over a couple of years, really. Was there any instance or, you know, any memory that you came across when you were doing the research? You're like, Oh yeah, I remember that. And, you know, or something that just kind of struck home, struck a chord with you. That, yeah, that was interesting. I mean, I would remember things that when I watch a game, I remember things that my dad said, because I watched some games with him in our living room at home. And, uh, you know, I would put this in the book, too. I would put down a comment that my dad said, uh, and I would also research the game to provide all the details in the background and then tell about how it was at, how it looked, not only in the game, but how it looked from our living room. Like one, one game that's in the book is there's a big uh, – the Cowboys had a big comeback in the playoffs 
I believe it was 1972, they were down to uh, San Francisco. The score was something like 28 to 13. I mean, basically Dallas was left for dead. Um, Roger Staubach had been injured. He comes in the game. Within less than two minutes, they come back and win the game 30 to 28. And, and a lot of football fans will appreciate this because, you know, Tom Landry was their coach. Uh, he, he traditionally just didn't show a lot of emotion. And uh, he was really obviously happy showing more emotion on the sidelines when they pulled that game out than you ever seen him do that. And, uh, of course, the big win, my dad was in the living room and he was saying, I don't believe this. I don't believe it. And then the camera's on Tom Landry. And my dad said, and Landry's smiling. I don't believe that either. <laughs> so, you know, I had a lot of memories like that. Uh, and I put those in the book, you know, where they were appropriate. You know, what we often find is that we gravitate towards things that we like and things that we add value to, right? Things that are valuable to us, things that we like. Those are usually some of the easier things for us to do. I'm curious with this book, Growing up with pro football, which sounds amazing. Can't wait to read it, to be honest with you. Um, what was the easiest part of the book for you to write? And, you know, comparison to what was the hardest chapter for you to write? Well, I guess the easiest part was kind of making an outline of what I wanted to include in the book. Because the games that resonated with me the most, I didn't have to go looking for them. They were in my mind. I mean, the memory stayed with me all these years. So I just jotted down an outline about what I wanted to cover. And then I had to research to kind of fill in the gaps because obviously your, your mind will not recall everything about a game. So I did a lot of research and that might've been the hardest part. And I guess also the, some of the earlier chapters might've been the hardest part to write too, because I tell about everything that happened in the 1960s and I couldn't do any of that from memory that had to all be pretty much researched. Um, so to put that together, I mean, I told somebody once that it was like writing another doctoral dissertation, but without the professors being there, <laughs> you know, it was a lot of, lot of, a lot of work went into it. Uh, but to me, it was all worth it because it kind of, uh, it's, an, it's, it's, it's an expression of, of um, how I love the game uh, growing up. And it kind of evolves as you go through it, because by the time I'm done with the book, I'm telling about how I watched it as a teenager and finishing high school and so on. It basically goes from the time I'm eight years old until I'm 18. So that's really the time you're growing up. So how do you uh, think your perspective changed from, you know, obviously starting when you were eight, you definitely see the world through different eyes than when you're 18. But how did your perspective of it change or how did your understanding of it change throughout yeah. those years? That's a very good question because I thought about that a lot. When you're eight and nine and 10 years old and you watch those guys play uh, in the NFL, it's easy to look up to them. Uh, when you get to be an old guy like me now, it's hard to look up to some of the stars because they're so much younger than you. You know, and, and I'm at a spot now, um, you know, there's several coaches that are younger than me. And so it changes whether you want, want it to change or not. It does. I mean, you, I can admire a 25-year-old athlete doing amazing things in football. Um, I can admire it a lot, and I can enjoy watching what they do to this very day. But uh, I don't need a poster of them up in my room. <laughs> you know, it's, it's different now. 
So that does, I think that changes for everybody, but I certainly noticed it with me and I, I, I realized it more in producing this book. David, I'm, I'm curious. One of the things that I've tried to do with each of my boys, I have four boys. One of the things I've tried to do is take each of them to a pro football game. Uh, when, and I lived in St. Louis for a long time. So when, and I was a Rams fan, mm-hmm. when the Rams left, it made it a little bit more difficult because I wasn't going to switch over my allegiance to the Kansas city chiefs. I was going to, I was kind of torn there, but I tried taking my boys to a pro football game. I'm wondering as you were growing up from eight to 18, were you ever able to go see the Cowboys play? No, uh, I really regret that. I saw them later. Actually, I went to a Rams game when Dallas was there just a few years ago and I saw them there and that was fun. But, um, I'll tell you, and this is not in the book, but I can tell you this. My, we lived in a, a small town in northeast Arkansas, which is about, it's less than, it's, it's a good three hours just south of St. Louis. It's a hard three-hour trip, but you, we could run up there and see Cardinal baseball games all the time, and we did. Um, but we, um, one Sunday, then the Cardinals in football were doing pretty well about the middle of the 70s. And uh, they wanted to beat Dallas really bad, and sometimes they did. Well, some friends that my dad knew had some tickets to see the Cardinals and the Cowboys play, and it was in Bush Stadium. You know, they used to play football there in the what the Cardinals used to play in. And so my dad gets to go to the game. And I didn't because whoever had the tickets, they didn't say, get your son and come on. Right. They just asked him to go, so he went. And I was, um, I was pretty upset. And I was um, – it wasn't my dad's fault, but um, I watched the game on television. Uh, the Cardinals did beat the Cowboys on that day, so I was upset. And I remember my dad came in late at night, and I was still in bed. Um, I was awake, and he came in, and I heard him come in the house. He was talking to my mom, and the first thing he said is, how's David? Because he knew the result of that game was not going to sit well with me. And I, I always remembered that. I think he really wanted to take me to the game, but it, you know, it was just uh, some men that took off and went. It wasn't the men and their families who went. So you kind of mentioned, you know, that story wasn't in the book. Was there, was there anything else you wish you could have included in it that you just kind of ran out of space or ran out of time? Well, I could have included a lot of other things, but um, I wanted to keep the book short. Uh, it's, it's less than 150 pages. And I, I felt like if it was more than 200 pages, it was, it would be trying to do a lot more than, than I wanted to do with it. And I also wanted it to be a quick read for anybody that likes football. So I just, um, I decided which games were worth it to me to delve into, uh, in detail. And basically what I did is I selected five games that I remember and they each have their own chapter. And then after that, I have, uh, 10 games that I call an honorable mention. I, I put all of them in one chapter and it's a shorter summary, but um, so, you know, I, I was dealing with 15 games in particular and um, I thought the scope would be too large if I was doing more than that. I selected games, not, it's not a list of games that are the biggest in NFL history. I picked games that I remember for whatever reason. And some of them are big games. Um, but some of them are games that are obscure. You may not remember them at all, but I remember them because of what was going on at the time. So I go ahead and delve into that. But I thought if you just pick, okay, what are the best Super Bowls ever? What are the biggest games ever played in the 70s? You know, other people have already done that. 
So I wanted a different perspective. No, that's awesome because it's a perspective through your eyes, your vision. And like you've already said, how you started and how you changed going from a young boy through adolescence, through high school, through not getting to go to those games that you talked about and all those things. That's it, It's amazing when we write a book like this, in my opinion, because you're telling a story, right? You're using football and your experience with it, but you're really telling this part of the story of you. And I'm curious when you put something out there like this, and I know there's some history that you put in there because you, you had to research some of those games and your kind of personal perspective on some of them. What is your, what's your next step? Or have you thought about writing a sequel to it? I mean, write, you're obviously no stranger to writing books. You, you've written three now. So what's the next step? Where do you go from here after you write a book like Growing Up With Pro Football? Well, it's interesting you say that. I, I haven't seriously approached the idea of another football book, but there's certainly plenty of info out there for it. Um, you know, you can write a lot about what happened in the 80s in football. And then you can write a lot about what happened in the 90s. This book is kind of dealing with the 70s, so I guess there could be something uh, new come along in, in that regard. But um, I can't write another one about how it felt being a kid watching it because that's what this one is. So sure. I'll have to, I have to think about that. I've got some other books on the drawing board, but, um, and I've thought a lot too about doing various articles. I do some things on my website and, and I know that JR knows that I had a lot of articles in the papers there in Jefferson city at one time. Um, so writing things that are, that are brief, like newspaper size pieces, uh, I could see me doing a lot of that. And sometimes I, I take what I've written in the past and I, I could organize that into a book as well. So David, I'm going to, I'm going to segue here a little bit. Uh, you were telling us that you did some football officiating uh, as well. And you said it was the best part-time job uh, that you had ever had. So I, I'm kind of curious, what got you interested in that? What was your experience with it? Is there anything that you kind of remember that was either off the wall or funny or, or just kind of memorable game that you, uh, that you officiated. Some of the best stories you might ever hear is if you're riding back from a game with a bunch of other officials and they're talking <laughs> about everything that went on. And that's all off the record, but I guess I could do a book on that. I was just uh, going to say that has to be a book. Yeah. But I'll tell you, um, and here's something interesting. Not everybody realizes, but when you hear it, you, you'll realize that this is true. Uh, a game official, they'll tell you in your training, uh, you're not supposed to have a drink of alcohol on the day of a game. Well, obviously, we don't want that. And it, it says that you can have a drink if you want after a game, as long as you're not in your uniform still yet. And I thought, well, that makes sense, too. You know, the average person doesn't think of that, but I guess they have to have that guideline in there. Um, but anyway, uh, the, the way I got into that, I was taking master's degree coursework. I was working in Southeast Missouri. Uh, I was teaching there. And uh, you get to know a lot of people in college coursework. And there was one guy that did a lot of officiating, bas high school basketball and football. And you know, we just got on the subject. He said, would you like to officiate some um, high school games? Would you like to get into that? And I said, really, I would. And he said, that'd be great. I can help you get set up. And, and then he said, I'll never forget this. He said, and I can get you all of the basketball games you want. 
And I said, I've already got all the basketball games I want. I don't want to do any of those <laughs> um, because it just didn't appeal to me. And it is different. I mean, uh, I've talked to basketball officials and they, uh, they like it when the crowd gets rowdy and the game's close and they're in the middle of it and the whole noise in the gym is bearing down on them. They, they, they like that. Uh, and they get into it. And uh, I liked it in a different way. Uh, you can feel some of that on the football field, but you know how it is. Sometimes on the football field, you may not hear the fans. Um, and that makes it a little easier. You can certainly hear coaches, though. Uh, sure. And I always thought that was that was fun. Um, so, I, you know, you'll have to stop me. I don't want to reel off 10 stories, but I remember one instance where um, I was on the side. You know, there's the, the, the linesman and the line judge. They're, they're the, on the wings. They're on the side when you're doing a ball game. Um, and the coach is right behind you, the whole coaching staff. They can talk to you the whole game, and they do. And um, there was one play where it was either a block in the back or a clip. I think it was a block in the back, and I didn't throw a penalty flag. I didn't see an infraction. And the coach – kept on two or three plays. He said, that, that was obviously a block in the back. You didn't see that. He said, you, he, what, he said, why didn't you call that? And he kept on and kept on. And I turned around at one point and we weren't arguing. I just said, coach, I believe you, but I didn't see it. Yeah. And then he just stopped. Uh, I mean, that was as honest as I could be about it. Uh, I, I really, I missed it, but uh, I don't think he was making it all up. I just, and things like that happen all the time in a ball game. Um, I was over in, you know where Thayer, Missouri is? Little sure. Town. We went over there and did a game once, and they were playing some school, little school out of the Springfield area. Um, and I was the umpire in the game, and they were lining up, and there were three guys on, on one of the offensive line. You know how they'll, they'll call signals. The linemen sometimes do. The quarterback certainly does. But there were three guys. This is high school, and they – they were singing. They were singing some song, three guys singing the same song before they hiked the ball. And I started to throw a penalty flag and I thought, I don't guess that's illegal. And I went and talked to the referee in between plays and I said, they're singing out there. And he said, what? I said, is that, can they do that? And he said, they're doing what? And I said, they're singing. He said, that's the craziest thing I ever heard in my life. And I said, well, I'm just telling you what they're, he said, I believe you, but it's still the craziest thing I ever heard in my life. And uh, <laughs> so there wasn't a rule against it. He just told the coach, he said, tell the guys to quit singing out there before they hike the ball. <laughs> and um, and the, I, I remember that they were had a timeout and he, the coach was talking to them and I was standing near their huddle and I could hear everything the coach was saying. And before they went to the field, he had told them everything that was important. And I heard him say, and quit singing out there. <laughs> you know, it was just, one of those things that I never did see it again after that, but I did that night. That's awesome. I got to ask you about a couple of other things. And one of them is unique for JR and I, obviously, because, you know, JR worked with you at your time at Jefferson City High School. You know, you were there from 2009 to 2016. Obviously, the Jefferson City Jays have a long history in the state of Missouri. Mm -hmm. What was it like when you were there as a principal all that time? Well, when I came there, I knew from the get-go that I needed to show the utmost respect and support for the football program because it was important to so many people. And um, I'm glad you asked that because I've got a, a couple of thoughts about 
high school football in general. And I, and I could add uh, what one thing I think played out in Jefferson City the time I was there and since then as it pertains to football. Um, and I guess my opinion is as good as anyone else's, but as a high school principal, I've been principal somewhere else before coming to Jefferson City. Um, I noticed this, when the football team does well, you're probably gonna have a good school year. Mm -hmm. And that gets overlooked a lot of times. Um, but if, you know, football is when the school year starts and the kids are coming back after summer and they're getting involved. And if a team starts winning, everybody starts feeling better in the hallway too. So it's important. Now, I'll say till my dying day that academics are more important than, than, than any athletics, but athletics has an important place. And so we can't just separate the two because they both kind of, uh, in a sense, they need each other. So I, I've always noticed, and obviously everybody can't win. I mean, you can still have a good school year if your football team loses their first five, six, seven games. You can still have a great school year, but it sure does help everything in the culture of the school when uh, they're winning and the whole community feels good about it. Oh, absolutely. You know, we, we kind of say, as goes the football team, so goes the school. And yes. I, think, I think you're absolutely right. If you can start the school year off with – the football team doing well, obviously, but it gives not only the students, but a community somewhere to go, something to be a part of. And it's part of the thing that we talked about earlier that you tend to gravitate towards things that you give value to. And mm -hmm. when you're giving value to not just the wins or losses on the field, but the environment that's there, the friends you're creating, the memories you're creating. What ends up happening is somebody ends up writing a book called Growing Up With High School Football, right? <laughs> no different than growing up with pro football. That, that's what happens. So you know, we say this a lot, and I'll say it again, as goes the football team, so goes the school a lot of times. Now, that doesn't mean if, you, if your school doesn't have a football team, the school's not going to be okay. There's other things that go in there, but, you know, it's, it's really, it really is true, and oftentimes, and we try and tell the student-athletes this a lot, is that those football players have such a huge impact, and they can be leaders in a positive way, but what they don't realize is that they can also be leaders in a very, very negative way if they're not doing the right things in the building. And I'm sure you as principal saw those things. I saw that, but I, ha I had the good fortune of, when I went to high school, we were in a, a town that was certainly smaller than Jefferson City, but they really were football crazy. And of course, the coach that coached us then, he's in the Arkansas Sports Hall of Fame now. I mean, he, we had a great experience. So I saw that on that level firsthand. Um, and then when I go to, um, I was in Charleston, Missouri as the principal, they were big on basketball. So uh, they did good in football often, but basketball was really what carried their day. And then I go to Jefferson City, and football is is pretty much king. And and you got to acknowledge that you can't just tell an entire town if if football is important to them, you can't tell them it's not important uh, in what else we're doing in the school. So th there's a good balance to that. I will say this: um, for for good or bad, sometimes the football program communicates things to the community that may or may not be the message that you need. And what I don't mean anything negative by this at all, but an example in Jefferson city, 
we all know that it, it took quite a while before they decided to do something in the way of a new high school or to renovate the old one or like now they kind of done both. Right. Um, I think yeah. part of the prop, this is only my opinion, but we all know the football facility was very, very nice and still is. I guess we got it built back from the tornado. Isn't it, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's a good facility for high school football. It's excellent. The average person in Jefferson city, they come to watch football on Friday night. They see an excellent facility, an excellent field. Uh, they see everything's taken care of. Everything's tip top. It's state of the art for high school. Uh, those same people, they don't all go inside the main building. So when you say that we need a new high school, they're thinking, why do we need a new high school? We got this excellent facility. They, they kind of assume that everything's that good. And uh, I think that was part of the message that wasn't getting out there when for years, when I was in Jefferson city, they were saying we need some new facilities. Um, you know, and I, and I, that's not anybody's fault really. Uh, the average fan, it's easy to assume that what you see on Friday night is pretty much what, what the rest of the school district's like, and that's not always accurate. And, David, I think you bring up a pretty good point there because anybody that's listening to this has been to Jeff City. We've got a, we've got a fantastic facility there. And l let me ask you this question. So as a principal, you obviously supervised – you know, a lot of different sporting events. You mentioned basketball and obviously football, but what in your mind makes football different? I just wasn't the kind of a kid that could excel in a bunch of different sports. I mean, I played all of them, but the only thing that I could come close to being good at was football. So it meant a lot to me. Uh, the good part is, I, I always said this, doesn't matter how big or small you are, you can play high school football. Uh, they got a spot on the team for you somewhere. Uh, and in baseball, it's a little bit like that too. My dad used to say, you can be a little bitty runt and still play, play baseball. Um, now in, in football, they take all kinds of, you know, if you're going to play offensive line, that's different than if you're going to carry the ball. It takes a different type of kid and a different type of physique. Um, but there's a place for everybody. And uh, I think that's what's special about high school football. And I did write about this elsewhere in uh, newspaper articles and so on. I, I wrote that I learned some things on the football field that I probably never would have ever learned in some classes. You know, leadership and teamwork and discipline. You have to learn that if you're going to be on a football team. And if you're going to be on a good football team, there's no negotiation about that. That's just what you have to do. And really, you need to, look, you need to understand those things in life anyway. So I think that's the biggest takeaway uh, for me. Uh, I'm not saying you can't learn that in other sports because you can, but for me, football was the, it was the greatest thing I was able to take part in growing up. Now you got to play in high school, right? Yes. Corning, Arkansas, small town. They, they just had, they won a lot of games before I was ever in high school and they won a lot of games after I was out of high school too. It was just that kind of tradition, kind of like Jefferson city. And, um, it, you know, when, when the, community gets behind it it's even bigger and, sure and uh you know that happened there so i was fortunate to be there at a good time so i gotta ask you this because we've been putting out some podcasts already and we actually threw up a poll and jr and i have done a lot of stuff on the defensive side of the football we we do a lot of stuff on the offensive side now but we kind of came up with these scouting principles that we believe in and our poll was simply this we put on one podcast that we believe that when it comes to running the football, 
there's only three things that happen. You can run it inside the tackles, you can run it outside the tackles, or you can option someone. And we put that up on our poll, and I told everybody I was going to ask you, Dr. Wilson, if you believe we're correct. Now, no pressure, zero pressure. You, you had a swing vote to turn this poll because 60% said no, 40% said yes. But JR, you know, we, we kind of think we're right. I mean, that's right, JR. We're correct, aren't we? Yeah, we know yeah. we're right. Yeah. So, Dr. Wilson, yes or no, are there only three ways to run the football? All right. For a couple of different reasons, I'm going with you guys on this. <laughs> okay. One reason is I don't know what the other options would be. <laughs> and the other is in, in out of respect for my high school coach, I mean, we had a quarterback who, who was a good athlete, but he didn't throw the ball, but maybe five times in a game, we ran the ball. And all we did was dive plays, traps, sweeps, or something called a toss, and that was it. And if other teams could have stopped us, maybe we would have done something else. But I don't really know what other options it would be. I mean, those choices, the three choices, yeah, that's – I mean, if you're going to keep the ball on the ground, uh, what, what, what are – let me ask you this. What are the other people saying uh, would be a possibility? Well, that's a great they question. Talking about a, they talking about a, a fancy reverse play or something that they say is a possibility? That still goes wide. Exactly. So we challenged everybody who said no. We challenged them to tell us why, come out, and JR, what did we get? Yeah, we had nothing. We got nothing. We got nothing. That sounds so like people, the job I'm at now when people complain about parking. <laughs> I say, well, let me hear a better idea, and I don't – it's crickets. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm glad you brought that up because this is something that, that totally interests me. You know, right now you're the communications director for transit and parking at the University of Arkansas, and it's really something to go and watch people do their jobs at super high levels, right? So whether you're watching a guy direct traffic, whether you're watching a guy, you know, build a building, whatever that is, if, when you're watching people who are really good at their jobs, it's just fascinating the level of detail they go to. So I have a couple of questions about this, and I know we're getting past time, so this might have to be part two. But what is it like on game day when you have 72,000 people at the University of Arkansas I mean, how, how do you get all those people in there? Well, it hasn't been 72,000 people in the last year or two. <laughs> in fact, last year, there were some games that might have been less than 50,000, but it's still a pretty good crowd. And uh, I, I like being around when they have game day because, number one, people are excited. They feel good before the game. Uh, you know, everybody's trying to get into the stadium. Some people are tailgating, but it's a big congested mess. But it's an organized mess. And um, they, they have to, you know, there's, there's always, the, I think it happens at every major university. Uh, the athletic department controls a lot of those parking areas and they need them during games. Throughout any week, uh, students park there and students kind of feel like it's theirs. And I'm, part of my job is to tell them, no, it's not really yours. It belongs to athletics. That's why you can't park there on game day. So uh, that is constant throughout um, football season. 
but it's it's exciting. There's a big buzz when everybody's there. Uh, of course, when they buy tickets, there's certain areas they can park in, and those those areas are are cleared out. But people don't know. I mean, even at a high school football game, let's say the level of Jefferson City, some people walk in that stadium and they assume that all we have to do is show up and kick the ball. But that's far from the truth. There's so much work that goes into it. And you imagine if you take a high school game and multiply that times 10 or 20 in size, then how complicated is it going to be? Um, They have to work on it. They have meetings all the time. I'm talking about athletics. Uh, I sit in on some of those meetings, but it's very interesting on game day, just to, just when you find out how many thousands of of trash cans they have to set out just to take (laughs) care of the crowd. Uh, The average person doesn't think of that, but if we didn't have the trash cans out there, everybody would notice it for sure. How many do you have? Eight, nine, 10,000 at least. I can't remember the exact number. That's crazy. It is crazy, but um, you know, if you cut a few thousand off of that, you would have problems. And those are logistical things. Our department doesn't take care of that, but I get to learn all about it. To me, it's interesting. Here's something that you might find interesting too. Um, we send out all the notices telling people to be out of these parking lots. And we say no later than midnight on Friday night, you have to be gone from these lots. And they come in with tow trucks starting at midnight before a Saturday game. Holy and cow. They, tow, they tow out a hundred to 150 people every time we have a home game. <laughs> oh my goodness. And, um, of course they have to pay for that. They get citations and then they have to pay for the towing and, and, um, you know, they kind of blame us for that. And I usually reply, you know, you ignored quite a few emails before uh, the tow truck came. So it, to me, it, it, it amazes me that people would just refuse to move their vehicle knowing that it might get towed. Uh, but it's an ongoing deal. And I guess every ma- major university is the same. That's totally crazy. Well, Dr. Wilson, this has been amazing. JR. How do, we, how do we get all of our listeners to get access to his book and where they can get it? Uh, all you've got to do is just click over to our website, mohsfootball.com. Click on the menu button at the top. It says P3 Podcast. And on the right-hand side, uh, there will be a picture of Dr. Wilson. Uh, it'll say what episode he was in. And if you click on anywhere in that box, it'll take you straight to his Amazon page. Uh, that's got uh, the two books that he's written already that are listed. And then, David, I think you said your uh, your third book here uh, has come out today. Is that correct? Well, it's available on Amazon now, but it's not uh, on that same link that you mentioned. Um, I collaborated. It's a real short book. I collaborated with somebody in this industry, and we just entitled the book, If You Can Deal With Parking, You Can Deal With Anything. And uh, <laughs> I think that's true, but we, we wrote it in such a way, you know, people in the parking industry would be interested in it, obviously, but we wrote it in such a way that um, it applies to things no matter where you work. You know, it's about working with people. It's about communicating with others. It's about all these basic things that you want to touch on. So it's a different perspective. Um, We're kind of excited to see what happens with that. We'll definitely get that link up for everybody too. But once again, just head over to the website, hit on P3 podcast, and you'll be able to access all the links to the books. I appreciate that. Mr. Wilson, totally our pleasure. This has been amazing. I've, I've learned a lot. You know, you have another book called Learning Every Day. Um, 
I think that's an absolute truth that you're educating yourself every day to get at least a little bit better. And you've given us a lot of things. We might have to put up some show notes, JR, just about some of the stuff that uh, Mr. Wilson's talked about, you know, as with the football team setting the tone for the year, that's, that story about kids singing. If you knew the song, that'd be even better. That'd be, that's an awesome story. Um, you already have the links to his books and to Amazon and things like that. But if, if you ever have time, sir, we'd love to have you on again. It's been amazing. Thank you for all that you've done in education. Thank you for all that you continue to do with education. The, the stories in the book, I'm sure, are outstanding. There's history and education there for you. And, you know, we can't thank you enough for coming on and being our very first guest. Thank you very much. 